Hi Triber, we are back for the next season. Smart Girl Tribe has grown to become the UK's number one female empowerment organisation. We have an event series, a digital magazine, a membership platform and this podcast. What can you expect from us? Interviews from women all over the world who are driving change and pushing the needle forward. From actors to activists, to CEOs and conflict photographers, to the brains behind some of the world's largest corporations. When you're not tuned in every Wednesday at 6pm, then make sure you're chatting to fellow unapologetically ambitious women in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or sharing our ever so inspirational content on Instagram, at Smart Girl Tribe. Did you know the majority of women would rather talk about their own death than money? Misty Lynch, the money expert in this episode, busts money myths, talks about the relationship you should have with money. She breaks down all of the money terms such as stock, bond and investment. Misty also shares how you can get more, more easily, and also what you should be doing as a single woman to prepare financially for marriage, or what your relationship with money should look like as a married woman. Misty is a rock star in this field and helps tons of very normal people make millions every year. So we dive into that and the rituals the super wealthy have to keep up with their finances. We get into the nitty gritty and Misty answers all of my burning questions, such as saving for a pension and how to work out how much of your income should be disposable, but also navigating the current economic crisis and how to ease the blow. This is a golden episode and one that will actually give you the tools to help your wallet as much as your money mindset. Hi Misty, welcome to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. Can you just share your story with our Smart Girl Tribe audience please? Sure, so my name is Misty Lynch. I'm a certified financial planner and investment advisor out of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I also um, just started a radio show and a podcast called Modern Money with Misty Lynch. So What I really love to do is work with uh, women, families, entrepreneurs to help them set up a plan for how to use their money and also help them execute it. So I do a lot of uh, one-on-one work with people, but then also trying to reach people who maybe aren't at the point where they need an investment advisor yet, um, but are trying to find ways to do to have their money align with what they really want to do rather than just making it, spending it making it, spending it, and then not wondering, you know, where did it all go? And uh, maybe feeling a little bit bad about their relationship with money in general. So, Why do you think it's so important for us to talk about money? Well, I think it's really important. I saw a statistic saying that like 61% of women would rather talk about their own death than money, which really bothered me because money relates to everything. I mean, everything we want to do, um, even if we want to be more, you know, charitable, if we want to be more successful, usually money is going to come into play, whether it's spending money to educate ourselves, whether it's giving to, there's always, there's always a financial component to all of the things that we want to do, starting a family, starting a business, buying a home, all these things. Mm -hmm. And if we're afraid to talk about money, or we don't know where to get any advice from, from money, we might not have the best role models at home, you know? And so I think it's important to make the conversation a little less judgmental, a little bit more um, curious and open just about, you know, why we want to do certain things and then try to back into how to support those goals instead of just thinking I need to have X salary or X in the bank account um, because we think that'll make us feel better when it might not. It might just be aligning what we have with what we want to do better. Mm -hmm, Completely. And why do you think it's so vital for women in particular to talk about money or to have the confidence to talk about money? 
we've been kind we've been boxed out of the conversation for a long time. So I, um, before 1974 in the U.S., a woman couldn't have a credit card or get a loan without a man. Um, 1974 was not ancient history. <laughs> it wasn't even 50 years ago. So this could be our mothers um, who might be then passing down some of the things that they believed onto us, like, oh, well, you know, ask your husband, or you might want to wait to do that. You might not be ready for that because, um, and then, and yeah, before 1960, we couldn't even have a bank account here on our own. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is very recent that women have been able to have equal access to money. So we, if we feel like we're, you know, not smart about money or we don't understand it well enough, it's, it's not surprising at all. <laughs> you know, most of the conversation has been geared towards men. And, um, but now women are going to school. They're getting higher paying jobs. They are contributing to the family finances a lot more or supporting themselves. We live longer. There's a very good chance most women are going to be supporting themselves financially at some point in their lives. What, you know, just, you know, just out of sheer uh, longevity and, um, or choosing to remain single or having, you know, a non-traditional relationship. Um, a lot of times women have no choice but to understand money or else um, just some bad habits we might have had in the past or things that we we've learned um, might just start like a cycle with money that might not get us where we want to be. Mm -hmm, completely and all of us have very different relationships with money. What mm -hmm. is it that is affecting us most? Does media play a role in it? You've already mentioned our mothers. Do our upbringing play a role? I know that women, obviously, as we've just talked about, do struggle to talk about money. Why do you essentially think that is? I think it has a lot to do with, um, it has a lot to do with upbringing. I know that like, um, I, have, I have two kids right now and I talk to them about money all the time. They know how much things cost or why sometimes we wait, why mom works. Um, and I'm just open about it where um, it wasn't polite to talk about money when I was growing up in like the eighties. That wasn't, that was rude. That was, um, it wasn't very, and now I think there's more openness. There's, there's, you know, tribes like you have, there's social media, there's, there's ways that the conversation can take place rather than just gossip or work circles where people didn't really know. So they just assumed everyone was doing better than them or feeling shame. And also I think that there's, um, it's really important to start to talk about money because there's a lot of bad advice out there too. I think in the media, you know, we're told to, you know, be generous. We're told, you know, we shouldn't, it's greedy or, you know, we shouldn't all want money, but then we shouldn't not make money either because then we're, you know, not contributing or, uh, it, it, there's, just, there's so many mixed messages about how a woman should be when it comes to money that there's really, and there's really no right answer. So, you know, you should work, you should be a working mom, you should stay home. Like there's just, there's going to be a story that kind of lines up with any, any thought you have. And so if you have a belief, social media will typically put more of that behind you. Um, you know, it'll see it in your feed more. You'll see things about that support your opinions. And so that's why I like conversations like this, because this is, these are conversations we want to be having. We want to be talking about income. We want to be talking about investing and, mm -hmm. and all these things that really just um, might just seem too confusing to get started with, but they're really not when you break them down. You know, I think sometimes it's just a matter of not knowing when to start. So you'll be like, oh, I should buy this instead, or this will make me feel better if I have this beauty product or have this, these clothes or something like that. That's more um, a quick fix to feel good um, rather than 
thinking about paying off your debt or certain things that could get you um, in a financially better position, but are just a little bit more effort. What do you think are a couple of financial myths that if you could banish them, Misty, you would? Let's see. I think that the one that drives me crazy is um, that there's such thing as good or bad debt <laughs> because debt is not, it's not a moral decision. I mean, it's not like, um, you know, you own a home and you hate every mortgage payment you're paying because you really wish you had more flexibility and freedom or you want to move around, then that's not necessarily good debt just because it's a mortgage. And the same with bad debt. So, I mean, if you're using, you know, if you take a credit card and you go on a vacation and that's supposed to be bad debt, that, that might, it has nothing to do good or bad. It's really just important to understand how much you owe and to look at the numbers behind it and to realize when you do, you're really just borrowing money, you know, when you are using that for the future. So I think that's one thing that there's a lot of attachment that certain things are, are valuable or good and other things are bad when they're really just, it's just money. It has no, it, it's really just something that we've all decided to use to trade for goods and services, but it doesn't really make you good or bad or better or worse if you have a certain amount of debt. And there's a lot of people who do feel like they have too much debt to be in a relationship with somebody else or to feel good about themselves when maybe all they got was an education, which is good in my opinion. But in America, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people that are deep in debt in their early 20s and it really affects how they feel as a, as a human. And that, and that I think is unfortunate and should change. And what do you think are maybe some financial setbacks or beliefs, maybe a couple of examples, some setbacks or beliefs that we internalize as children when it comes to money? Yeah. So I grew up with a lot of, um, we had money and then my father, then uh, our business, you know, there was a recession and things changed. So our financial situation went from um, very good with a big house and lots of toys and cars and things like that to smaller, uh, you know, living in a smaller place, having fewer things. And um, that kind of felt like scarcity all the time, like with, with money, food, with everything. Um, and so I was a little bit, when I, when I actually started to make money, I felt like I had to almost get rid of it before someone took it away. <laughs> so I had to spend it before my car broke down. Or I might as well do something good with it now, something fun with it, because it's going to be gone. Um, and I felt like even every time I'd fill up my gas tank, like something bad would happen immediately. So it was a really interesting, I had to start to look at, examine my thoughts and why, why did I feel like there was no point in saving or in doing these things? And I think it was because that's what I saw, that it was, um, you know, once we had money, we have to get something for the kids to make them happy because they deserve it or we deserve it where it might've been better off to say, okay, now we have some money, let's put it away just in case we live into our seventies, just in case, you know, there is another business cycle where we have to fund, you know, our own income for, for six months, you know, and there's a pandemic now where I'm seeing that a lot of people are now in that position where their emergency funds are being used or they have to use that savings that was for a rainy day and it's here. And um, that was something that took me a while to realize that I needed to save for instead of just winging it <laughs> and, and feeling like now was more important than the future. 
And what is the biggest struggle have you experienced, Misty, that women have when it comes to money? Is it planning, managing, saving? What's their biggest struggle? I think I've seen women um, do a lot of the day-to-day finances. They, um, they know how to pay their bills. They know how to pay their bills on time, how to make money and do all this. But when I talk to women about investing, they'll be like, no, that's a little too complicated. And these are women that I have advanced degrees and I'll say, okay, <laughs> it's not that complicated. It's just new, or this is just different. Or if you have a retirement plan at work, you're already an investor. I want you to understand what you're invested in. I want you to understand that because it's really not that complicated, if, especially for someone who owns a business or works for a company to say, okay, if you own a stock, you have ownership in that company. If that mm-hmm. company grows, if that company performs well, then your, the stock price will go up. And, and, you know, as far as debt instruments like bonds, same, same thing. If you've owed somebody money, you understand how it works, <laughs> you know? So some of those things, I think people just, if it's anything new, their brain will instantly be like, no, too dangerous, too risky. Let's not try it. Instead of just saying like, okay, maybe I could understand this. Or what if this could help me financially? Instead of just worrying about the checking and savings account and really getting involved in the investments. And I think that is something that women still defer to their male partner in marriages or look to a dad or, I mean, I've had people who, instead of wanting to work with me as a woman, would rather work with like their, their best friend's uncle or dad who's good with money because he's a man. <laughs> and I'm, so it's one of those things that's interesting to hear because um, there, there's certainly a lot of you know, training and work involved, um, but people still kind of feel a little bit more like that's a man's space. So that I think is one of the things I would love to see women get more comfortable with is the, is the investing because it's so powerful and it's, it's, it's fun. (laughs) Yeah, no, completely. I think when you start, because I set up my business when I was so young and I was 19, I really had to learn very, very early on how to manage money. Mm -hmm. And that meant looking into investment and all of the boring stuff. But I found that over time, when we've ever had discussions about money, it has seemed like a man's industry, if you like, or skill set. And I actually found it a lot of fun and very, very empowering to take control of my finances. Oh, I agree. I think money, money is power. When you don't have money, you are at the mercy of everyone around you. you um, and I think that that is a place that I don't want to be back in in my life. I want to be, I want to be able to support myself, my family. Um, I don't want to be at the mercy of the state or the government to help me and have policies that are designed to, um, that, because I think that even money has allowed me to, you know, I'm in a great relationship, but if I wasn't, and I had to depend on somebody for finances that you're stuck, you're stuck. And like, you don't understand your money or can't control it. And that doesn't mean necessarily even just you have to earn more. But if you understand what you have, you feel that empowerment where you can make a decision that is best for you instead of just saying like, well, what what choice do I have? Mm -hmm. This is, you know, I need to survive. And that's how a lot of women, I think, stay in places or even jobs where they just aren't happy. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate. So let's look into some terms then. Can you explain what, for anyone who 
is listening to this and doesn't know, can you explain what an investment means, what a bond is, mm -hmm. maybe even what debt means for some of our younger uh, sure. listeners and readers? Okay, so an investment is really something that you put money into with the hopes to make money. So I would say like a car is not really an investment because you're not going to make much more off of it rather than what, what you bought. A home could be an investment, but it's also sometimes, you know, the hope is to make money, but the real, the real goal should be to live there. Um, businesses can be <laughs> investments as well, but the ones that I work with primarily are stocks, which are, um, you know, you are buying shares of a company that is either trying to raise, raise money to do more things. And so um, if you're invested in something like a growth stock, that would be the companies you might be familiar with. You might think of social media companies, the Netflix, the Apple, the companies that you use their products, you understand what they do. And when you become an investor, that money goes to the company in order to design, do new things. <laughs> and so when they're successful, the stock prices go up. At our firm, we, we invest in stock portfolios and with our with the ones that we choose we look at if they're going to increase their earnings or increase their dividends and if the analysts say they are we keep them if they say they are going to reduce them that means there might be something going on with the company that the analysts are seeing and then we will trade them out for a company that is anticipated to do better it's not super complicated it's um but it works and it does involve a lot of research which i think is something that most people maybe could do, maybe couldn't do. They might just say, hey, I'm on Zoom a lot. Is that a good start? You know, all the things that you use, especially technology, healthcare, things like that, um, you can kind of understand how a stock would work. And so it's good to be interested in that sort of thing. Um, mutual funds are a basket. So if you want, like I might own one share of Apple. If you had a mutual fund that was technology mutual fund, you might own Apple. Um, you might own, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 more companies that are in that same space in a tech fund. Or you could own a fund that tracks an index like the S&P 500 or something like that, which is just really mirroring the performance of those 500 different companies. So that's what a mutual fund and an index fund do. It's kind of a broad, um, diversified way to have that ownership you know, that, that position, but with, you know, somebody else kind of controlling how the fund is, is managed. And then bonds are basically debt. So if I was to own a bond, I'm basically lending somebody money for a particular interest rate, and I'd expect to get that payment back. You're not really going to benefit from the upside of the growth of a company when you own debt, but it's similar to like if you owe, um, you know, Citibank money on your credit card have the money, you can spend it how you want, get it back with an interest rate. So that's really basics of, you know, bonds, stocks, and mutual funds. There's a lot of other different things, different sectors you can invest in, but those are the basics. And really a lot of the investments you might see are a combination of that. Um, I don't really work too much in cryptocurrency or new investments that are coming out. Um, I stick to what I really understand well, <laughs> but there are different ones. There's different alternative investments like real estate trusts, crypto um, that are out there. But I do think it's really important to really understand what you're invested in and how it works and how that and be able to easily explain it to somebody else before you should put your money there. 
completely. And let's dive into some strategies. What are some ways or methods you advise, Misty, that we as women can do to be financially free? I know you're obviously a superstar in this field and help a lot of very normal individuals make millions. So how can we too? Okay, so if you're, if you're young and you're starting to invest, I would say that the best thing for you to do would be something called dollar cost averaging. So that would be that you take a certain dollar amount either every paycheck or quarter or however you have income and you invest it regularly. You're not trying to buy particular shares at a particular amount. You're just taking, you know, so say you put 5% of your paycheck into, um, into an account every cycle, then you're buying low sometimes you're buying high sometimes, but you're just being very consistent with your behavior. Um, since I think investing is a, a long-term um, goal, looking at the prices every single day can be, I do it, <laughs> but it's my industry. But for somebody who's just trying to save for something that might be decades down the road or five, you know, they might have a certain goal in mind um, to just be very consistent with their, um, with their habits. Setting things up automatically can be even more helpful just to make sure you don't even have to think about what else could I do with this money instead today? Maybe I should buy this. Maybe I should go here. If that's just out of your hands before it even hits your checking account, then it's even better. So I think setting up those consistent behaviors and automating what you can can be really effective. When I got my first job, I just put, I just signed up for the 401k that we had at work and I just started saving. I never got used to my paycheck with that money in it. So it didn't really feel like it was like it was going to taxes or something else automatically. And even just setting up those habits was really helpful. Um, and then let me think, if you, if you are curious about investing, I think you can look at what is available to you, what types of accounts, if you're a business owner and you don't have a work-sponsored plan, there might be other things that you can invest in and, um, and just see what's available to you and just be curious, just find out. I mean, there's plenty of resources out there that are available, that are credible. You know, you can look at, you know, different publications, different things. And even if you don't have anyone in particular, you can ask like family or friend, just, just start doing some research and getting curious about it. And then just start because you're going to think of all these different reasons why you shouldn't start or you should wait until later. But time is really on your side when it comes to investing, because what you invest earns, you know, if it's, say it's in a growth fund and that's earning it just your investment plus the interest is also earning so that compounds the same way debt compounds when you only make your minimum payment and your balance goes up um it works for investors in the opposite way and let's get into some specifics how often do you think we should be looking at our bank balance how regularly so as far as your you know knowing what's going in and what's going out of your account is really important I think it's good to, you know, um, it's good to be aware of what you, what you have and what you owe at all times. I think that's, that way you can, if you set things up where you are um, tracking your spending and savings, you'll notice the anomalies, you'll notice the fees or certain things that pop up, even credit, you know, um, credit report issues or something like that, that wasn't you. If you know what's going on and you're paying attention, you'll notice that. So I do think having using apps, I use my financial planning app 
is kind of like a mint.com or you need a budget, one of those types of tools. I think those can be very helpful even just to lay the groundwork to know what you have and owe. You don't need to look at it every day, but you do need to do the work once. You do have to do the work in advance. And then if you can, um, yeah, I would definitely check in, make sure your paycheck's right. Look at your pay statements. A lot of times we just don't focus on these things, but um, it can be really important to make sure that there's no mistakes. So I would do that regularly. I would take, you know, I would every couple of weeks, I would look at at least, you know, what your what's in your bank account. As far as your investments, I think that um, there's always news about what's going on and, and things are up and down. And I think that's because it's a 24 hour news cycle now. So even the most boring day on the stock market has to fill a show. <laughs> and so it'll seem crazy, but for that, I think you can look at it maybe less frequently. I would definitely look at quarterly statements um, and I would you know pay attention to what you have, but I don't think you necessarily need to focus on every time there's a headline, mm-hmm. what's going on with your investments. If you have a long time um, until, until you need money, I think, yeah, you should know what's going on in your checking account and savings accounts um, pretty frequently credit cards as well, just to make sure that there's no surprise fees or things like that, that you could avoid, or you could contest if you, um, if you're able to student loans and things like that, you should, you should know what you owe to where, and then be, be conscious of it, I think. Um, but I think having certain tools will help that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. What was the app that you mentioned, the one that you use? What's that? Uh, so I, I use, um, for the financial plans that I do, it's eMoney, and that is where I aggregate all of my finances. So I have a dashboard where I can see what I, everything, my whole financial picture, retirement accounts, my home, um, credit cards, anything in one spot. There's other ones that are great too. Um, you Need a Budget is an app that I think is is helpful for people who are just trying to figure out where they're spending their money and um, how much of it is going certain places. So to have those categories to see when there's a jump or when there's, when there's excess spending in a certain area. Um, Mint.com is fairly popular. I think that that can also show you where you're spending your money. And now is an interesting time to look at that because I feel like we're a little kinder to ourselves because of the pandemic. There's not as many people spending money on travel and food, which was usually a budget killer for a lot of people I worked with where they just said, I don't, I don't know why I'm spending such a fortune on food and groceries and then throwing them away and going out to eat where now people are kind of like resetting where they spent their money. Maybe they aren't spending as much or um, in different areas. So they could really take a look at how much they want to dedicate to those things in the future. Okay. And what are some rituals that the super wealthy have to keep up with their finances? So I think that one thing that a lot of wealthy people do is they, um, they do have, I think they have, I don't want to say policies, but they have (laughs) things in place, you know, so they are always going to pay themselves first. And that's very different than what, um, how I grew up. We paid everybody else first and whatever was left was ours. And then when we would have extra, we felt like we really deserved a treat or something special or to do something with it. And then the money again would be gone. Where I think that people who are wealthy are always focusing on um, that part, that paying themselves, even if it's for their future self, um, to make sure that those things are taken care of first. And then... They know how much they need, how much income they need to make. They're always usually, I think most people that I, that I work with that are wealthy, they're usually very interested 
in business. They're interested in money. They, they understand how it works. They're conscious of how they take on debt. And when they take it on, it's usually for a purpose that's very well thought out instead of something that's more impulsive. And so I think that that's just having control over that piece of it that, um, and being very mindful of where their money's going. It doesn't just go to whoever's asking for it or whoever needs it. It's, um, it's a little bit, it's more conscious. And I think that that's something that can be, that anybody can do. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's just, it's just difficult. Mm -hmm. No, I understand. And what age, Misty, do you think we should all start saving for a pension? I think the earlier you start saving, the better. I think once you get your first, I mean, if you're in your first job where you're making money that you actually have a little extra, like if you are seriously at the point where you can't pay, you know, that you're just trying to pay your bills and you're down to a very bare bones budget regardless, then there might not be the extra there. But if there is, um, once there starts to be, I think that it's a good idea to even just start putting a little bit away because of the, um, the impact that time has. So if you start saving when you're in your 20s, um, you, you, know, you might need half the amount each month that you would need if you started in your 30s or a quarter of what you would need in your 40s to try to catch up to a certain level um, with your investments. So I think that that can be good. And even just seeing that balance grow and seeing that it's there can be really empowering and, and you know, make you feel like, okay, because if you start, you know, if you're working for 15 years and then all of a sudden you decide you want to save, you might still think something else is more important because it hasn't really been established that you are a priority in your finances yet. And how do we work out how much of our income is disposable? No, I think that's where knowing exactly what you, what you have and what you owe is, is important because you might think you have nothing left, but then you look at you know, what your, um, your housing costs are your bills, your liabilities. And then once those fixed things are taken care of, the rest is usually variable. Um, so that might be how much you spend on things that are not determined for you in advance, like food or clothing or travel or things like that. And so that's where you might have a little bit of space to, um, to dedicate you know, 10%, 5%, whatever you can to the future, to investing. I think 10% is kind of a... Um, it's a target, <laughs> you know, that's out there to say that, but if you're just starting out, that might not be that much, but that's okay. You know, as you increase your income, you could increase how much you're, you know, how much you're investing. So that could be good just to see what's, what's available and then make that part, that investing part, change that in your mind to a fixed expense that has to be taken care of. That's a bill that has to get paid each month and try to be really consistent with that. I think when I first started my account at work, the employer matched like four or 5%. So I did 5%, you know, to get to that 10, um, because I didn't want to leave any money available to me on the table. But, um, you know, I still needed to support myself. And, you know, I didn't have all that much when I first started out. And you could, you can adjust how much you're investing too, just the way you can look at what you're spending in certain areas. If it's too tight, and you need more money, you can always reduce it. Um, but I would try to, you know, try not to if you can. And you could also look at where you're living. And if it's too expensive and you really don't have enough money to do anything else, but, if, you know, you always have more options than you think. You know, 
there's always ways you could change your, your situation if you had to. Um, some of them are just a little bit more effort than others, like moving or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we touched on this earlier. Is there a way, do you think, that we can change the narrative suggesting that masculine energy is what typically surrounds wealth and power? Absolutely. I think that there's there's more women that are getting advanced degrees. There's um, more female-led households. Uh, I think that women are starting to have equality in senior positions in companies. And I think there's better role models out there. I, I think that there's a lot of women that we can look at and, um, and, and say, yes, that, you know, money is going to be what helps me be more of who I want. It doesn't change people. It doesn't make them bad or worse, but it amplify what you can do. So if you're a good person and you want to, you know, you want to help others, you want to empower, inspire others, more money will give you a bigger voice to do that. Um, and I think that there's really, if you, if you think about, you know, women in other positions, not just finance, there's really, you know, in science, tech, engineering, and ev everywhere, there's, there's a lot of women that are making huge strides and advancements. And there's really not much reason that, <laughs> that having, you know, being a woman impedes that <laughs> in any way. Even, um, even though, you know, yes, sometimes it's, you know, we have other things that we're doing, you know, some of us are mothers, some of us are caretakers, but I think that that's also shared with men too. And it could be just as equally important for, um, you know, for men to take on different responsibilities as well, rather than just being a provider. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And right now we are obviously worldwide going through this international pandemic so to help the blow a little bit more what can we do because they have already predicted that we're about to have the worst financial crisis since world war ii so what can we do to prepare for that i think that having money will be very important to get through this i think that it's very important to be aware of what you have and what you owe what the minimums could be if you had to just instead of making progress you know instead of you know, paying off debt earlier, certain things, you can look at how much you need to spend each month. And if you have extra and say you haven't, maybe you've started investing, maybe you haven't. Um, if you can save, even if it just means having a larger um, savings account for now mm -hmm. and holding on to that money and just letting it be there. Um, sometimes that's uncomfortable for people to have money sitting there for five minutes <laughs> without feeling the need to spend it. Um, and just, and just have it there because I think cash will be king in this type of environment when there's, um, when there's a pandemic, when there's job losses, when there's shortages, things like that. Having more money is never going to feel bad in this type of environment because the people who have money will have power and they will be able to do certain things and keep themselves safe. Um, so I would definitely try to boost what you can save and what you can hold on to in this type of environment. If you are you're losing your job i would try to be a little kinder to yourself than you might be um and understand that maybe this is a time where you can focus on what you really want focus on the career you want certain things maybe maybe you're home maybe you're alone and isolated um maybe this would be a time where you are working on yourself or or reading urge information to try to help put you in a better spot 
once once this is over to go after the things that you want to do how can we misty make more empowered choices as women when it comes to money is it a matter of having more open conversations with our family or friends is it about completely taking charge of our money if we are in a relationship should we have our own bank account as women what do you think I think one thing that I enjoy doing with clients is I will ask them about what their values are. And a lot of times they'll tell me things like, oh, it's my family, it's my health, it's, um, you know, it's trouble, it's certain things. You know, they might say it's my health. And then I'll look at what they're spending and what they're spending their time and their money on. And it might have nothing to do with that. Or their family might, they might not be saving for their family's future, or they might not have a will or anything to protect their family. Um, and so once I can help them get their spending and their money to align with what they told me they really care about, it feels good. It feels good to spend in those ways. Like I have no problem saving for my children's education or for planning a fun trip because I really enjoy having fun with my kids. I, I think that to me feels wonderful. So when I have a little budget set aside for a trip or an adventure or something that they really are dreaming about doing, that feels wonderful to spend the money that way. Spending money on things just that I put in my cart because I'm bored and then I click, you know, buy and then it shows up and I don't remember what I bought doesn't feel great because it's not, it doesn't really align with the things that I care about. Mm -hmm. And in my marriage, I've always had my own bank account because I, I got married when I was about 30. Um, so I'd been supporting myself for like 12 years. I was used to having, not really to ask anybody about what I spend and what I do. So with my husband and I, we have our own separate accounts and then we have a joint account for the, the household bills and for the household savings and things like that. So when he decides to spend money on, on shoes or sneakers or Nike, <laughs> I don't care. He could do what he wants. He's a grown man. When I you know, spend money on a, a haircut or a bag, something that he wouldn't necessarily think was a great use of money, we don't fight about those things because we kind of have our own, and you can do that in different ways, but it's always good to have a lot of communication. We both have the same goals though, when it comes to the big things that we care about. You know, we really, we pay our insurance policies because we do want to make sure that the other person is okay if one thing happened to us. Or um, when our dog needed surgery, we got it because we both, you know, that's something that we wouldn't, we wouldn't argue about. So I think for the big things, it's important to align, but for the little things, it might be better to just have your own, your own, you know, account that you can, you can pay for things there. So it's not an argument every day. Completely. And are there any special ways or mindset strategies that could help us get out of financial debt? Yeah, I think that one of the things that people, when people talk to me about their financial situation, it's like they're reporting the news or the weather. <laughs> They'll say, I am terrible with money. I have so much debt. I'll never get out of debt. I am, you know, I spend frivolously. And then I'll have to ask them, like, those were all, <laughs> those thoughts were all optional. The only thing that's true is the X dollars that they told me that they are in debt. And so if they want to change, they have to start by changing their mindset first. And I think that that can be with anything you want to change. If you want to change your health, you have to try to come at it from a place of like self-worth and loving yourself. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, then you're just going to repeat the, you're going to repeat it because you're going to say, well, I'm bad with money. So this choice is what I should do because this is what I always do. Um, instead of what if I was good with money? 
-hmm. what does a person who's good with money do when they're presented with, you know, something that they can't afford? What does somebody who's good with money think when they're applying for a job um, or when they're negotiating and try to think about things in a different way? Because if you're just attacking things the way you always have, and you think that all of those negative thoughts are just facts, they're going to be a lot harder to change. And really there's, you can, you can love yourself right now and be in a ton of debt and that's optional. Okay. And talking about money as a single woman versus a married woman, how can we prepare? I mean, I'm single as in I'm in a relationship, I'm unmarried. So if you had to give me advice, what can I do to prepare for that next season in my life financially? So I would say that if you're in a relationship with somebody, you can, you can pretty much tell how they are with money um, by the way they act right now. So if, say, you have a boyfriend who likes to save money, who doesn't like to go out or buy expensive gifts and things like that, I wouldn't expect that person to necessarily change when you get married. Or if you're with somebody who loves to spend money and is really fun to date, they might not change when you get married and have kids. So I wouldn't expect that necessarily. I would have to be, you don't have to necessarily agree 100% on money. But I think what you might want to do if, a, if the relationship was to move towards a marriage is to say, okay, you like to spend more than I like to, I like to save. That makes me feel more comfortable. And really, instead of just saying the dollar figures, I, you know, I would talk to my husband and say, I came from a place where money was always tight or scary. And so I like having a certain amount saved because it makes me feel safer and comfortable. Is that... Uh, you know, and I know you like to spend money. You've, your family had more money than mine. Um, you're a little bit more, you know, relaxed around money. Um, is that, you know, is that something that you feel like we could come together on? You know, is that something where you'd understand if I just wanted to have $50,000 sitting somewhere, no one touches it. It's just there in case we need it. And that if that they love you and they want you to feel, you know, instead of just talking about the dollars, talking about the feelings, and the, the reasons behind it can really make someone understand you better because you're not going to change someone's mind unless they under, unless you feel like they understand you, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that can be, that can be good. And just kind of talking about, you know, when we have kids, I want to make sure that we spend money on a vacation, maybe just agree ahead of time. And then, and then when you do things, it just, it's just easier. It's less stressful. Okay. So let's be, I mean, I say, let's be, I'm going to be really open. So my father is a very successful financial advisor. So he always taught me that you don't need a lot of money to be good with money. You can work out, you know, a percentage to save, etc. So again, I started my business when I was 19. So I had to learn very quickly and very fast, the value of money, you know, investing in a website design, what all of that looked like. And I have been the one in my relationship that has been able to lay out all of the, you know, payment plans that are available um, in the UK, etc. And these were things that my partner wasn't necessarily or completely aware of before. So if someone's listening to this and they too are coming from it or to the relationship with a very different approach to money than their partner, what advice would you give them? Do you need to kind of be completely aligned when it comes to money? Is it good to have a balance? What would you suggest there? 
I think it's, you know, sometimes we're attracted to people that are different than us a little bit. And so I loved that, you know, when I first started dating my husband, we would just do spontaneous things and go places and spend money. And so I think it's not necessarily likely that you're going to find somebody who's exactly like you when it comes to money. I think it's very important that they understand you. And so Scarlett, I think if, if you're, if you say, Hey, this, I was raised, my father taught me how to value money and how to invest in a business and what percentage I feel I want to dedicate towards this then maybe they'll just understand you and say, okay, like you're not going to change your mind easily. you're not going to just say, you know what, let's just, <laughs> let's just take a huge risk here. You know, <laughs> like they might not. And so I think that that's, that's going to be good because they'll know what they're getting into. Just like they know what you look like, how you act, what, you know, the things that you, how you talk and what you say, um, they might understand a little bit more about your thoughts around money. Now we hide those a lot. And so I think that that can be a mistake is to just be like, oh yeah, sure, the, the, I'm comfortable with that, when you're not. Um, and so I think that, you know, openly talking about things that are going on at work or business or money can be helpful too, because a lot of times we'll talk about just about everything else on the planet, yeah. but we won't talk about money. But if you, wanna, if you wanna back into that, you could talk about goals. You could say, I'd really love to do this someday. I'd really love to someday be able to take a year off or, or, you know, maybe I don't want to work when I have a kid and they're small, or maybe I want to retire when I'm 50 years old, what, whatever it is that you want to do. If you talk about that goal, instead of, I want to have a million dollars in the bank before this happens, then it's easier for people to understand that and relate to it because everyone has goals and things that they want to do in the future. And the money conversation is kind of a piece of that, but it's not the, because if you just said, I want to have this much money, people might be like, Oh, Look at that. Why, why are you so, you know what, that's so aggressive or greedy um, because they're just not used to hearing that, especially from a woman. They're not used to hearing somebody just be like, I want to go, I want to make X. <laughs> and if I'm not making this much money, you know, in the future, I'm going to be really disappointed. Um, if they know why you want to do that, then I think that's easier for people to, to understand and kind of back you up and get behind it. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously everyone, if we, as we've discussed, has different beliefs and opinions when it comes to money purely based on your financial expertise, Misty, should women have their own bank account when in a marriage? I think so. I think they should have some, I think they should have their own. Um, if you're going to have a, I know in the United States, if you have an individual retirement account, that is an individual account. There is no other person on that. Um, same with like a 401k or any other retirement fund that is yours. <laughs> and so I do think that, you know, it is important to be transparent to, you know, be open in a relationship, not to hide any money issues or secrets. Um, if, because that, that can be just like any other sort of, you know, lying or cheating is, you know, if you're hiding a lot of your spending and stuff, but having those individual accounts set up. Yeah. Because I think in a, you can't really rely on anybody else to support you than yourself. I don't think there's anybody else that I am, I am more, um, confident can do what's best for me than me. So I do think that that's a really good idea. And then, yeah, if you have joint goals, go ahead, combine, because that can be really powerful too. If you both are saving for a wedding or you're both saving for something huge and you realize before that event even happens that you guys can just put money together, put your heads together and amplify what you want to do. That could be really telling that the future you, you'll be able to do big things with your partner. Um, so that's important and that's something that shouldn't be ignored. But I think those individual, those individual accounts should be, funded as well 100 percent. 
Absolutely. And I always end the podcast with two questions. The first being, Misty, what is your favorite quote or the mantra you live by? Okay. So let's see. Um, one of my, one of my favorite quotes, um, I'm trying to get it perfect. There's, there's a book called a man's search for meaning and it's Victor Frankl. And, um, it's on my, it's on my Facebook page, but it basically, basically states that, um, you're always in control of how you, of how you think, even when you feel like you have nothing, you're always in control of the way that you're, you view something. And I think that's powerful. This was a book written by somebody who survived a concentration camp and his brain having a purpose and a sense of meaning helped him. And I think that's been important for me. I always have a purpose in my work. Even when I've done different jobs, I've always wanted to help people talk more and feel more confident about their money. Even when I was an auditor, when I was doing other things, I was looking out for people. And so I think if you have a purpose in mind, the changes, you can survive them better. Um, instead of just feeling like my identity is this role or this job. It's, if you have a purpose, you can really keep going. So I would recommend that book to anybody who's really just, especially if you're just kind of lost. Um, no, I think that's great. No, that's wonderful. And speaking of books, are there any money books or even podcasts that you would recommend, Misty? Yeah, I think there's some great ones out there. I think there's um, NPR does one called Planet Money which is really good for just explaining certain, um, certain abstract things like, um, and, you know, like what is a trillion dollars or yeah. all, of, all of those things. And I think that that's a really good one. Um, I like, um, let's see, Bravely Go is, um, is a great one. And I think her podcast is called The Fairer Sense, C-E-N-T-S. Mm -hmm. And so that one is about women and money. And I think it's really interesting. It's, um, they, they have a, pretty, you know, they have a pretty solid take on, you know, why women need to be thinking about money. And I think that that's a good one that I've really enjoyed listening to as well. Um, I'm trying to think. And then, yeah, I, I think there's a lot out there. You just kind of have to see what speaks to you. Yeah. You know, somebody might, you know, someone might strike a nerve or not feel the same way about you, but there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of amazing resources um, and people that are out there talking about money in different communities. No, amazing. I mean, I'll leave all uh, in the show notes, all links to you, Misty, in case anybody wants to get in touch, because I'm sure they will. But thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. I've learned so much and I've got no doubt that we'll collaborate again soon in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to meet you and I'm excited to see what you do in the future.